it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, well, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So much to go over. We're watching so many split screens around the world because today Hamas was going for a day of rage in their support, and they got it. They got it in Jordan. They got it in the West Bank. They have it in Yemen. And you know what? 36,000 police officers in New York. Uh, and most major cities are on high alert should it happen here. If you've seen what happened to a lot of these college campuses with these idiotic protests of these Palestinians, we sent a report. We sent Lawrence, um, we, sent, uh, we sent one of our anchors out there to talk about, uh, to, to talk to these protesters who are pro-Palestinian. You know, most of them think that this is all fake. They were saying, oh, we don't believe the Israeli propaganda, that kids' uh, heads were cut off and the innocent people were killed. Do you know in the Wall Street Journal today, there's a 14-page manual that these, uh, these extremists, these Hamas militants had on them, these terrorists, and they talked about co- targeting kindergartens. It was in there. So um, that's a lot of what we're seeing now. So we'll split the screen with that. But it's going to be a ground invasion shortly. We're going to talk to... Dr. Bianca Adair, the director of the Intelligence Studies Program at Catholic University in 34 minutes. But right now, let's bring in the only living Medal of Honor recipient from the Iraq War for his heroic actions in Fallujah, best-selling author. Uh, his latest book is Remember the Ramrods. He's also in House to House. Uh, he is uh, David Bellavia. David, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. So, so David, I thought last time I talked to you was probably two days ago. I thought by now the ground invasion into Gaza would have happened. Do you think, uh, what do you think they're up to? Is it the plan not done or are they still shaping the battlefield or both? You know, I think it, it, it's really just what the what Hamas is trying to, to use with propaganda. Uh, they've got to err on the side of making sure that they open up as many lanes out of that city as possible to let civilians out. But we saw this in Fallujah. Zarqawi beheaded American citizens in the city of Fallujah. When when we allowed civilians to leave Fallujah, Zarqawi, dressed as a woman, walked out with women and children. So this is you're, you're going to lose targets of opportunity. You're going to lose high value Hamas terrorists if if you just let a mass egress uh, from the north escape. And that's what they're doing. They're telling them to move out of certain ports of the city. You know, some of these cities have uh, more than others. You're talking a very small area. Uh, 25 miles, six miles uh, long, 25 miles long, six miles deep. Um, and then you have Gaza City with 731,000 people, uh, northern Gaza with 431,000, Rafa with 267,000. And then you have an area of Khan, uh, 476,000. So they're trying to move everyone down south. But you know what's going on, David? The Egyptians don't want any part of it. They don't want the Palestinians there, and they don't want to open up their corridor. And we've seen that with other neighbors literally for the last 70 years. I mean, this is – since 1948, this is what the problem has been, and and it continues to be that way. You know, you, you, you had the analysis that was spot on that Hamas is trying to draw Israel into a prolonged ground fight. And Iron Dome changed the game for the Israelis. And in the old days, you would indirect fire into Israel. Israel would chase after 
uh, into Gaza, and they would there would be casualties, and civilians would get hurt, and the media would pick it up, and Israel would lose soldiers, and they would be uh, casualties, and that's what Hamas was trying to draw Israel into. Now with Iron Dome, when they get indirect fire, they just do a counter battery or the rockets blow up in the sky. They're not getting Israel to bite. They're not getting Israel to make chase into Gaza, which is what they have wanted, you know, uh, since 2007. And so because of that, this is really the first big set play that they're going to have. And honestly, if Israel does it right, it can be game, set, match. But that's going to come at a cost, and that cost is going to be casualties. There's a lot of reservists. It's a dense area, and let's be – we saw this in Mariupol. You know, there's an underground tunnel system in Gaza City that is estimated to be four and a half miles long. You know, you, you look at the Battle of Verdun in World War I, when you get underground and you get into tunnels, it, it's bloody and it's pretty savage. So when, when we talk about opening up the corridor and the view from other nations about – of other national governments about the Palestinians, Richard Haas weighed in. Uh, he's with the Council on Foreign Relations. Cut 23. Egypt used to administer uh, the Gaza Strip and did until the 1967 Six-Day War. They know it uh, all too well. There has been infiltration over the years into Egypt of people who are committing terrorist acts within Egypt, among other things. So they just shut down the, uh, the border as part of their larger effort to maintain in- internal security. It's about that simple. And they have other refugee problems. They don't want the Muslim Brotherhood... Uh, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood with Zawahiri uh, really started there. Zawahiri was in on the assassination of Anwar Sadat. So they, they try to make sure that the Muslim Brotherhood does not have a prominent place in their society, even though under the Obama administration, the, Obama, the Muslim Brotherhood's leader ended up being president of that country briefly. He's now in jail. So they don't want any part of it. And that's just it. The people are rising up. But I don't see a lot of governments rising up. In your mind, David, this – Block by block that they have to go, house by house where they have to go, is the don't you believe they need a goal? Like is their goal to somehow provide a security system where they no longer can just say, Gaza, you can administer yourselves? Can they now have to be in charge of Gaza? Is that the goal? And I don't think you should really start this operation without a goal stated, don't you? Yeah, you have to issue intent just for the expectations of the Israeli people. We're starting to get polling numbers out. Everything is going to be political out there. Netanyahu has been dealing with a lot of internal strife. But here's the reality. I think everyone has to set right now the the table for the expectations that we're not going to bring these hostages back. These hostages are gone, and that's heartbreaking, and that's soul-shattering. But it needs to be said because that's the expectation. Right now we got a report of 13 uh, that Hamas is claiming were killed in bombing. This is the only cudgel they have, and this is what terrorists do. So to get into the mindset that Israel is in there, of course they want to rescue and free, but but the reality is is that they're in there to kill bad guys, and any military-age male that has a, a firearm is going to go down. Do you want to occupy Gaza as Israel? I think that's the worst scenario, worst-case scenario. I think what they want to do is say this: these sections of, of northern Gaza are clear of the ability to have rocket-propelled uh, 107 millimeters, missiles, infrastructure. All of that's done. All these high-value targets are dead. They've got a list of probably 35 names. 
those names are crossed off and you attrit another 20% of their leg soldiers, I think that's game, set, match. The one different element about this is they got these political operatives who run and get the financing for Hamas living outside the country. We see this video in Qatar of the leaders of Hamas celebrating and then praying as they watch the video of Saturday's uh, uh, ambush attack, the brutality that we witnessed. They're celebrating it. And they're allowed to live a luxurious lifestyle in Qatar and in surrounding countries. This guy, Michelle, Khalil Michelle, that called for this day of rage in support of Hamas, looks like this guy's wearing a a, a $5,000 suit hanging out, I believe, in northern Syria. I mean, how long can that exist? Well, here's the thing. I mean, Israel has a long track record of reaching out and, and touching you. If I'm that guy, I'm not getting my own mail anytime soon. Uh, you got to figure that you know we we know what Flotilla Thirteen does. Uh, they've got a, a an elite force called Yamam that is just at the very tier one top that they can compare with anything that we have, and they reach out and touch people all the time in Africa, in in you know throughout the Middle East. But Brian, you said something that to me just shows the ignorance of so many folks in the international media that covered this story to, to imply that the only people that don't want terrorists living amongst them are Israelis or Europeans or North Americans. It's just, it's wildly insulting. The Saudis don't want Wahhabis living in their country. Egypt saw what the Muslim Brotherhood did. This is the one thing that Israel makes uh, their neighbors jealous of is that economy in Israel, and Saudi wants it, Qatar wants it, UAE wants it, everyone wants an an economy like Israel has, and you are never going to attract that with instability. None of these Middle East countries, Syria, uh, you know, you don't want to become Lebanon and Syria. You don't want to have that you're not going to bring talent and you're not going to bring investments in if you can't go and have a, a, a chai tea in the marketplace. They want those radicals out. Now, can they say it vocally? Can they say it full-throatedly? Do they have to be careful? Absolutely. But none of these Gulf state countries are fans of Iran. And they, whether they're you know putting out the press release, they're certainly helping Israel with intelligence. They, they're not they're not going to be tag team partners with the Revolutionary Guard anytime soon. Uh, but this is all about propaganda. It's all about PR. It's all about appeasing, uh, you know, w- what appears to be appeasing the masses in the media because there's so much propaganda out there. I mean, I'm, the BBC is calling this a day of action, a day of action. Hamas calls it a day of rage. BBC wants to call it a day of action. Everything's genteel and shaped up and. And this is about friendly protest. Yeah, by the way, there were big protests. I don't know how big, but there were protests, hundreds, maybe a few thousand in uh, the U.K. as well as in Spain. I'm talking to David Bellavia, the guy who doesn't have to have to read about war. He lived it. His book is a bestseller, going to be a movie. His latest one is great, too. Remember the Ramrods. So, David, uh, I'm reading some readouts after this. the uh, Saudi prince, MBS, uh, was on the phone with the leader of Iran afterwards. He did not walk away from any potential agreement with with Israel because they figured out what you just said. They know when actions like this happen, they're not going to act emotionally. They know what's happening. If we figured out and they wanted to 
uh, sidestep and derail any type of Abraham Accord. You know the Saudis live in that neighborhood. They know exactly what's going on. They know the Egyptians tried to tip off on some level the Israelis to some major operation happening coming out of Gaza. But I want to bring you to the Wall Street Journal report today. There was a 14-page manual found on a few of the now-dead terrorists that talked about a plan that was really began in 2021. They did timing on how long it would take for Israeli defense forces to act. They picked out uh, and figured out the drones that would land on the on the clock towers. They figured out when exactly to do this. They picked out targets that include kindergartens as well as military installations. And they also picked out the right holiday in which they were shutting off technology. But the sophistication in which they did this was so different than anyone thought. What about you, David? You know what it's like to fight these guys. Are you surprised you're able to put together an operation like this? I am only because of the fact that the discipline that it takes to go dark like that is really something that we have not seen the sophistication. But then again, you know, when I'm looking at at a, a... an operation like this at peacetime, you have a lot of time to rehearse. You have a lot of time to plan. You're not constantly being molested by the probes of coalition forces. I mean, when you look at al-Qaeda in Iraq or you look at the situation of the Taliban, they're constantly under the specter of, of there could be a gunship in the air. There could be a drone in the air. When Afghanistan's alone, that's when you worry about Afghanistan. And when you don't have uh, you know, the eyes and ears in some of these areas, and like you said, you know, well, if it's financed in Qatar, it's probably planned in Qatar. It's probably planned in South Lebanon. The idea that somehow you know, Tony Blinken isn't convinced that this has come from Iran because you know, he doesn't have fingerprints on a memo that said it came from Iran, it's just wildly you know, ignorant. I mean, there are, the, the statement the president of the United States made that he was shocked by the barbarity and savagery of Hamas and Iran and Hezbollah and these terrorists, just reminds us that there is really still a faction, after all that we've been through for 20 years, that still lives in September 10th of 2001. They they set out, evidently, the last 20 years. They're shocked, and we're fighting over whether or not photos are real or this is – so you acknowledge that children were raped and set afire. We're arguing over whether or not they were beheaded. Just stop the nonsense. This is doing nothing. You, 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 we all know that you see the world with rainbows and, and unicorns. That's not the way the rest of the world works. There are very savage people out here, and this type of fighting right. is brutal, but this type of fighting is necessary. So if he wanted to know who we're up against, all he had to do was call you or anyone that fought in Fallujah, Mosul, or fought in Iraq and Afghanistan over the last 20 years, and this guy's the most experienced foreign policy guy he says it ever took the White House. So Hezbollah has privately warned Israel that it's prepared to open up a second front on Israel forces uh, should they launch a major ground assault in Gaza, which, by the way, is hours away, perhaps. The U.S. in turn warned Hezbollah and Iran that will defend Israel if the Lebanese militant group Hezbollah gets involved. How does this play out, David? I just I mean, it would be absolute. First of all, we have 10,000 troops in Syria that no one seems to want to talk about. Uh, the idea that somehow Syria is going to get frosty and you know decide that they want to get involved through the Golan Heights makes zero sense if you're Assad. Uh, the other thing with Hezbollah is that you know they got 150,000 rockets. Very true. It looks like uh, Iron Dome just got a you know a refill, so they're they're back up and and ready at full capacity. 
But if they want to cross, I mean, people talk about the Israeli force and show of force that's in Gaza. Look north. That there is a, a formidable two brigades of armor and infantry awaiting any visitors that come from the north. They've shown some videotapes of some guys on mopeds. You know, that's really not all that threatening. Anything that's going to come out of – listen, Israel learned a lot of lessons in 2006, and the lessons they learned is that if Hezbollah wants to bring the fight, they'll, they'll receive it and repel it, uh, but they're not afraid – in 2006, Israel went all the way to the Bekaa Valley, which separates Lebanon from Syria. That stretched their supply lines farther than any other time in Israeli history. Wow. These guys are brazen if, if they feel their, their country is threatened, and they'll push the fight. And they will, and they'll rocket them before they go in there, before it was on the ground, but they'll be, they'll be much more than that. David Boavia, every word you said was, uh, was important. Thanks so much for bringing your experience to our show. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. You got it. one 408 When we come back, I'll take your calls. We're following events around the globe and, and in our major cities. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. So when you hear of anything trying to give sympathy to what is happening in Gaza, don't listen to it because I've been there. I've been in those tunnels. Where do they put those tunnels? What do they put in those tunnels? They put equipment. They put ammunition. They hide hostages. And that's where they hide to try and do harm to Israel. And where are those tunnels? They put them under schools, under hospitals, because they know Israelis value life. Uh, That is true, uh, but they're going to have to go in very blunt, very hard this time. Uh, That is really important. So I want you to hear from George W. Bush. He happened to be speaking yesterday. I don't know the circumstances were it, but if you have to tell anybody about the war on, if you don't have to tell one person about the war on terror, it's him. He knows what Netanyahu has in, on, is in front of him. Cut 25. Going in the neighborhoods of Gaza is going to be tough. And, you know, he's got, a, he's got a very seasoned military, but they just called up 300,000 reservists, most of whom probably can't fire a rifle. And to the extent they'd be put in harm's way, it's going to be awfully difficult on the prime minister. But he's got to do what he's got to do. I mean, these, uh, you're dealing with cold-blooded killers. And you can make all kinds of excuses why they are, but they are. And his job is to protect this, protect this country. And uh, anyway, we'll find out what he's made out of. I think he's a pretty tough guy. And he does know the military. Lost his father, his brother, famously in battle. You read his book, you find out that he's really been uh, built for this moment. Fastest three hours in radio. 
You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi, we are back. Dr. Bianca Adair joins us right now. She's Director of Intelligence Studies Program at Catholic University. Uh, Dr. Adair, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, So far, we look at today's day of rage that Hamas called for. In Yemen, they're responding. In Jordan, they're responding. In the West Bank, they're responding. And we brace for ourselves for the unknown here in America. What are your thoughts? Hi, good morning, and thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, My thoughts are, unfortunately, the ideology of Hamas and the way in which they have manipulated propaganda is impacting not just the countries that we've been able to see, Yemen not surprising uh, by virtue of their own relationship with Iran, but also, sadly, the United States. And I think the, the deepest concern that I have for any Western country is to really start to reflect internally as to why that type of propaganda and that type of ideology is somehow become mainstream, and especially in the United States, mainstream with our college students and on our college campuses. Are you finding that a Catholic? No, we are not, thankfully. Uh, we are very blessed. We have uh, great students that do understand, and we are they're taught as well as uh, we live, what is right and what is wrong. And there is really no ethical ambiguity, as you'll see with the CUA president's message yesterday, with a very strong stance on what Hamas did and its terrorism, but also the right for Israel to defend itself, uh, keeping in mind that in Catholic doctrine, just war, which comes from the Augustinian thought process as well as St. Thomas Aquinas, underscores the ability of any country, Israel notwithstanding, to protect itself. So we send, uh, we have uh, here in uh, New York, we've had four days of protests. We have colleges coming out for the Palestinians in Columbia, NYU, and Hunter College. Um, It's embarrassing uh, but so one of our reporters uh, for Jesse's show uh, went out and asked people, like, what are you doing? What's your cause? Listen. What's going on here today? Protest in solidarity with the resistance attack on the settler colony that is Israel. We didn't have no freedom at all. That's why Hamas, you know, did that. You know what I mean? Hamas, whether you like them or not, has been warning Israel to oppress our people, to oppress our people. We'll respond. We'll respond. And how do you feel about that? I'm happy that my people are responding and they're fighting back. What is your reaction to the music festival this week where a lot of innocent people were killed? We don't want innocent people to die, but it happens. You know, it's war. I don't condone that. You know, I don't condone violence. I don't condone rape. But that's what's happening over there. I know. It is what it is, you know. These festival goers are not innocent civilians. They are settlers. So they deserved it? Yes. Every, every settler. Yes. So that's the mindset. What do you do with that? (laughs) Uh, Well, first off, I want to highlight, I did actually watch those when they were broadcast yesterday, and I was mortified, as well as the students' uh, commentary that was coming from California. Uh, What you do with it, I think, is uh, there are a couple things that really need to be done. One is that we do need to look at how professors are teaching these classes. I personally teach a class on U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East, and when we discuss the issue of Palestinians and the Israelis, we do not begin that conversation in 1948, actually push it back into the 1930s and the shocking role that the Palestinian Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, I mean, al-Hussein had in terms of his relationship with Nazi Germany and a desire to have the extermination of Jews in Palestine, this beginning, the process beginning in 1930s was his call for this and his, his desire. Once students start to understand contextually what is going on and getting into the Holocaust, I can tell you to a person in my classes, they have been shocked that they are not taught this aspect 
of that um, dynamic in the Middle East. So we have a couple of things we have to do in that regard. And I also, I, I have to admit, as I was watching yesterday, I was thinking of the de-radicalization programs that occur both in, uh, in Europe, uh, throughout the Middle East. Are we at the point where we're going to have to start considering this by virtue of the level of hate speech, by the level of attacks that are going on against the Jewish community, and doing so in the name of the very ideology espoused by Hamas. I mean, if you go to NYU, your parents are paying $91,000. So to get this type of education, I mean, you don't find this hanging out with the Crips and the Bloods, and you say, well, (laughs) these poor kids have no parents. You get highly, you know, very well-off people learning this anti-Israeli, anti-American doctrine, and it's no longer niche. It could be a whole generation. Here's more of this. This is Lawrence Jones who went out on the streets yesterday, and he just was listening. He asked the question and let him go. Why are you here today? Uh, free Palestine. I stand with the Palestinian people unequivocally. I support decolonization and liberation of Palestinian people and the end of a mass genocide in the Gaza Strip. You're talking about the genocide of the kids being beheaded? That's false. That is actually false. When you see the kids that have been beheaded, and the women that are raped. How do you feel about that? Ugh, I, I don't know where to start from that. Israel is notorious for creating propaganda that sides their one-sided massacre against Palestinians. That was already proven um, that didn't really happen. There was happen. not verified. Women did not get raped. No. I have I've not seen any proof of that. If it did happen, it I haven't seen it. Like they get attacked for no reason. The children got attacked for no reason? The kids that were beheaded? Beheaded? Yeah, apparently. Like, that's what they were Jewish kids. Wait, Jewish kids? The U.S. military money that goes there, $4 billion a year, should stop going to Israel to support their war crimes. So so they don't believe it. Israel makes it up and anything bad, we're just going to go there. And I would say there look to be about 500 people there. Yeah, I watched that also. And again, uh, just shocked, uh, but not surprised, shocked because it's in the United States. And to be fair, in watching, um, I read regularly the Iranian press and particularly some of the stuff that comes out from the Supreme Leader and the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, they're using this as propaganda. It's terrifying insofar as you have, especially the young man who had no idea what babies were beheaded. I mean, the fact that he could very casually bring that up as if it's completely normal is shocking in and of itself. But the other part underscores that these students are not being guided in a way to really truly investigate all of the sides of this and understand that the propaganda, there is a propaganda campaign going on by the terrorists. And at the center of all of this swirl is Iran. Those connections are not being made for these young people to realize that when they're going out and doing and saying the things that they're doing and saying, which, again, really just defies logic and defies the intellectual communities they're supposed to be a part of. The problem that you run into is they don't realize that what they're doing supports Hamas. It supports Hezbollah. And at the center of all of that is the support of the IRGC Quds Force. Uh, by the way, we're talking to Bianca, uh, uh, Dr. Bianca Adair, a Director of Intelligence Studies Program at the Catholic, uh, Catholic University. So, Dr. Adair, let's look at what's happening right now. Uh, there's a fear among, among everyone that wants Israel to be successful that Hezbollah is going to get in and start shelling from the north. If that indeed happens... Uh, the U.S. says, you better not because we're going to get involved. And Iran says if that happens, we're going to get involved. 
In fact, Iran said, if you freeze that $6 billion, we're going to start uh, targeting your assets in the region. That's our 10,000 troops in Syria and an unknown number in Iraq. What's your reaction to both those uh, scenarios? Well, first and foremost, it doesn't surprise me in the least. Um, uh, On October 9th, one of the Hezbollah clerics actually already said that Hezbollah would get directly involved as soon as Israel began a land invasion in Gaza. This came out, this was in uh, the IRGC uh, papers, they covered it. And so that isn't surprising. The second piece of it is what is going on with respect to Iran. Iran, in, on September, between September 21st and September 22nd, and then there for an unspecified time thereafter, Iran was already going through its simulation with its troops in Syria, North Syria, and on the border with Iraq, which really triggered some alarms that, in fact, the um, Iranians may be getting ready to have the Shia militias that fight with them in Syria attack the U.S. troops. What this tells you is that Iran was already planning for all of this in advance of these attacks in October, because Iran is not stupid. They know exactly what will happen once you conduct an attack like this against Israel. The use of the uh, $6 billion now as a threat is kind of a lesson learned. When you negotiate agreements with Iran, they will use it against you. This is a pretty normal thing that they have done, which means that you're kind of you're you're between a rock and a hard place when you're dealing with Iran in the international community because they don't have any problem with having this dual track foreign policy in which, yes, they'll negotiate these agreements and then they'll use it to slap you in the face to try to paralyze the United States out of fear of the loss of life. And at some point in time, uh, to be completely frank with you, we need to stop reacting to Iran and start shaping the battlefield the way that we need it shaped, not the way they want to shape it, which is something they've clearly done. Oh, that's a great advice. So ha- having said all that, we uh, the $6 billion is frozen. We hear for the New York Times and Washington Post, places that the administration likes to leak from. And we also know they're able to sell uh, they were able to sell almost all their oil and build up their reserves. They got $70 billion in reserves as opposed to $4 billion after they left off. What I was encouraged by is evidently the Iranian leader and MBS of Saudi Arabia had a conversation, at which time MBS did not say that he is going to stop pursuing peace with Israel. He did not buy into that. It seemed like they were both talking at each other rather than to each other. The fact that the phone call took place shows a reapproachment. But the fact that they did not swear off Israel while supporting the Palestinians, I think, is also significant, don't you? Absolutely. And I think if you go back and you uh, watch uh, Brett Baer's interview with MBS, you see with MBS, he's pretty sophisticated. But to be fair, the Saudis have demonstrated this level of sophistication with Iran. They don't feel... Uh, uh, required to in any way uh, pander to anything that Iran wants. And in this case, MBS understands that peace is the way in which you end up with a strong Middle East and you and that's through the economy and, and these types of things. So MBS is not going to join in to what Iran wants to do, keeping in mind that even during the period of time when Khomeini was involved in the Islamic Revolution and and shortly thereafter, Iran has attempted to supplant Saudi Arabia as the true leaders of Muslims in the Middle East. And this is indicative of the fact that Saudi Arabia and certainly under MBS, they are taking back those reins and expressing this is not the way to do business. And so I'm heartened by what was reported 
on with respect to MBS's meeting um, in Iran. And it doesn't surprise me, but we should realize that Iran will start feeling a lot more pressure and a lot more heat, mm. in which case we do need to be prepared. Our, our military needs to have a plan. It seems to me it's not a, uh, a, an if, but a when scenario. The particularly Shia militants start trying to conduct attacks against our troops and they will go to those outposts to try to hit first. Right. Uh, we do have to be ready. There's been 80 such and such strikes or, uh, at us. We've only answered four uh, reportedly and it's not been denied by the administration. Dr. Bianca Adair, it's, uh, as much as you want to look at history and give people perspective, it's also very important to ride the news and get the right word out. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, Dr. Adair also retired last year as a CIA operations officer. Man, how lucky are those kids or those students to have her as a professor? one 408 When we come back, I'll take your calls. You listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hamas, again, their whole involvement with terrorism and other radical groups doesn't make them, the Arab governments, comfortable. Arab governments would rather normalize with Israel for the most part. The one thing that the Arab governments have to be careful of, and we see it in some ways in the toing and froing with Saudi policy here, is the Palestinians still enjoy considerable popular support. In some ways, the governments are in a different place than lots of the Arab world than the quote-unquote Arab street. So the governments have to be a little bit careful not to get too far out in front of their population. And if you have, for example, Al Jazeera showing all sorts of images, if we get to the point where Israel does go in and force and you see Palestinian uh, civilians getting hurt, it's just the sort of thing that's going to make the governments really careful because they face a situation then where sympathy for Hamas and sympathy for the Palestinians will grow. That is uh, very true, and that could be the goal, how these governments are reapproaching with Israel, Palestinians isolated, Iran feeling they're losing power. They want to go ahead and show Israel uh, to be what they've always characterized them, of being aggressors. So what do you do? You go in hard in Gaza, which I thoroughly agree with, but you could lose a lot of the population. In Saudi Arabia's case, when when MBS took power— he took all the higher-ups in the Saudi royal family and locked him in the Ritz-Carlton. So he's got complete power, and he'll crack down on that population. We saw that in a second, but it's something to worry about in these smaller nations, like, for example, Bahrain, like, for example, UAE and Sudan, which already had a revolution. They're part of the Arab Accord, uh, the Abraham Accords. Alex in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. Two things. Uh, number one, you know, when all these innocent Palestinians, and it's sad, are going to end up dying because of Hamas using them as shields, people should blame Hamas, not the Israelis. I mean, if someone comes over to you holding his baby in his arm and starts shooting at you, are you just allowed to, supposed to let him shoot at you, or are you going to shoot back at him? You know, it's his fault if he's shooting at you holding a child in his hand and his child ends up dying. And, and you know, here you have the FBI in the United States saying there are no threats of any terrorism, you know, today with the jihad day that they're calling for. 
border. But we have a wide open border, 4 million gotaways. They have no idea who came across here. Um, and, and that is so absurd. But I wanted to comment about uh, what Matt Gates did last week by getting rid of Kevin McCarthy. Now Steve Scalise stepping down. And I think Kevin McCarthy should have just voted for Steve. I mean, Matt Gates should have voted for Steve Scalise. They have no path forward, these people that, that ousted Kevin McCarthy. And they saw that months ago. I liked when Matt Gates, you know, forced Kevin McCarthy to sign some deals. But what he should have learned then is that he cannot get a less established more Republican as Speaker of the House because for weeks he was trying to get someone else and he couldn't. And you have too many anti-Trump and anti-Jim Jordan Republicans that are never going to vote for Jim Jordan. So what I think might end up happening here now is you're going to have a few Democrats that are going to collaborate with a majority of Republicans. Republicans to get another establishment speaker, which wouldn't help, you know, Matt Gates, and then Democrats are going to run around saying, in this time of crisis where we had a war and a government shutdown looming, Republicans were willing, but they uh, were able, but they weren't willing to get their act together and do the right thing. But we stood up to take care of the situation and get a speaker of the House. And, and they're not wrong. That's not going to look. And good. they're not wrong. No, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. No. Yep. Thanks so much, Alex. Very perceptive. In case you don't know, I didn't go over it heavily, but Steve Scalise had uh, more votes, I think 120 to 99 over Jim Jordan. Reportedly in Politico today, uh, Jim Jordan went up to him and said, you'll get one round of votes, and when you don't get 220, endorse me. And Steve Scalise goes, listen, I beat you fairly. And Jim Jordan's retort was, yeah, but America wants me to be the speaker. So one vote. So what happened is over the overnight, after Donald Trump told me, by the way, on our show – that Steve Scalise has got cancer surgery. He's a great guy, but he's got physical uh, limitations. That played into a lot of people switching their vote. By the time Steve Scalise was working the phones trying to get to 217, he had lost votes. So yesterday he said, I'm out. I will not be speaker. So, okay, the speaker is out. The majority leader is out. You maybe have Congressman Hearn could be in. Go back to Jim Jordan, but I could run you down this list. Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm only voting for Kevin McCarthy. Chip Roy, I'm not voting for either. Really? Uh, I could just run. All these people have no, I mean, what is their goal? Is their goal to have a Speaker of the House? The only goal, the only thing they'll achieve is being the, in the minority per, uh, permanently. So th- there's going to be a meeting, and the meeting starts in five minutes in Washington. Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you right from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, where 36,000 NYPD officers have been told you don't have today off. If you were supposed to, you have to come into work because uh, Hamas in there. Uh, and their compatriots want a day of rage to show support for that terrorist organization uh, for killing children and burning people alive, taking Holocaust survivors hostage, and then initiating what could be a Middle East war, which would have us in the middle of it. It's hard to believe, but there are people that believe that they did a good thing. There's rage going on in Yemen, as well as Jordan, as well as the West Bank. We'll see how far it spreads as we see hundreds of thousands of Israeli troops Line up outside the Gaza border. So before we get to our first guest, uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Scalise, who's a great guy, was at 113. In the interim, I think, given what's happening around the world, that having Speaker Pro Tem uh, McHenry empowered, which they could do, the bipartisan agreement, 
pass significant legislation, particularly about Israel? I don't know, Mr. Speaker. I know you're optimistic. I am not. What is it going to take to get a speaker in the House? The Republicans are embarrassing themselves and their country at an extremely critical time. Steve Scalise has bowed out. So you lost McCarthy. You lost your majority leader. Now who do you want? Number two. The former head of Hamas asked people to hit the streets, calling it, quote, a day of rage in support of Palestinians. Back here in U.S. cities, they are stepping up their security. Enemy within. A day of jihad around the world as Hamas calls on supporters to rise up and strike. How safe are we? How safe are you? We'll discuss. Number one. The Israelis are giving Palestinians inside the Gaza Strip just 24 hours to evacuate. That's 1.1 million people, an indication that Israel is likely preparing to go in on the ground. Ground war in Gaza, hours away. We'll cover it all as Saturday's terror plans have been discovered and recovered. The Wall Street Journal details what the 14-page attack plan was among the targets, military bases, and kindergartens. Kindergartens. With me right now is former Navy SEAL, Congressman uh, Derek Van Orden from Wisconsin. Uh, Congressman, welcome back. I know how busy you are. Uh, First off, I know you have a meeting this morning about picking a speaker. How shocked are you that Steve Scalise is not the guy that you have no one leading right now? Well, let me tell you something, man. I was in the the, uh, conference last night when Steve said that he wasn't going to run any longer. And what that man demonstrated was that, in fact, he is not a politician. He's a statesman. And uh, Kevin McCarthy... He did the same thing. He did not act as a politician. He acted as a statesman. Patrick McHenry, who is our Speaker Pro Temp, um, is acting as a statesman. So the, the, the Republican Party has got a, a very deep bench. Kevin Hearn, for instance, you know, he said, you guys get this done because he wanted unity. He acted as a statesman. And it's critical in this, this time in our history that we have statesmen and women around. Uh, I do very respectfully disagree with uh, Speaker Gindrich. Uh, we do not – I don't think it's appropriate for us to vest powers that are not uh, specifically listed in the Constitution for a speaker pro temp, and this is why. When you make decisions in a time of crisis, oftentimes they don't turn out well, and I give – I present to you the Patriot Act as the best example I can think of in recent times. So that sounded like a great thing at the time. We were at war. Uh, 9-11 had happened, and, you know, I was a Navy SEAL at the time. I wanted to know where these terrorists were. But unfortunately, the United States government executive branch weaponized themselves and used the Patriot Act to spy on American citizens, which is inappropriate. So we're going to get through this process. Hopefully today we're going to have a speaker and we're going to get on with the country's business because Jews are being slaughtered at a level that they haven't since the Holocaust, and that's reprehensible. It's abhorrent, and we need to make sure that we can do everything we can to help Israel uh, destroy Hamas once and for all. I hope so. I'm. You know, I know you want to be optimistic, but uh, Jim Jordan is he your pick? Who would you pick right now? Well, Brian, here, the reason I get invited to closed door meetings is because I don't talk about them outside the closed doors. Jim Jordan is also a patriot, and he is a he is a fine American who has been acting as a statesman, calm, cool, collected, uh, reserved, and brilliant. So if Jim Jordan decides to run again, 100 percent, he's on the table. But I'm not going to disclose who I'm going to vote for because it may um, it may actually interfere with the process. But, Jim, uh, I consider him a very good friend and I talk to him every day and he is brilliant and he would make a fine speaker. So there's a story in Politico today. I don't know if you read it. that said he pulled one up to Steve Scalise and said, you you get one round of voting 
and then you're going to endorse me if you don't get it. And he said, I, listen, I legitimately won. And then Jordan goes, listen, the American people want me. Uh, they have disp- Jordan Campus pursued, uh, has refuted that. Do you know if this happened? I do not. Okay. Um, I, that's the first I've heard of that. And, you know, if there's palisantry going on, you know, I'm not part of that, man. You, you know me for, what, 10 years now? Yep. You, 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 you get what you see. And being plain spoken, oftentimes, you know, it's not super popular, especially with the left and some of my Democratic colleagues. But I think it's important that we have people that can speak very plainly. I speak my mind. and I tell the truth as I know it at all times. Um, I don't have a political calculation or anything that I say in messaging. I, I tell people exactly uh, the truth as I know it at the time. And that's what we need right now in the country is some more truth telling. And, you know, part of that, the, the truth, because I don't have my truth, I, I think that's a bogus concept. The truth is this. We are in a time of crisis like we haven't been in an extended period of time. Um, Israel has not been attacked like this uh, for 50 years. And it's time for mature, steady judgment in governance. It's not time to rule anybody. It's not time to change these rules uh, to give people powers in a time of crisis, it doesn't turn out well. Right. So I am. I'm, I'm literally Brian on the other side of the door, where they're where we're meeting as a conference, and I'm going to step in there in a sec. Yeah. Um, let me go. Make leave, sure that I can do leave, my yeah. constitutional duty. I know you got to pick a speaker, but I think it's going to take someone up and say, "Listen, if you don't pick my guy, I will support where the majority does," and that's it. I don't know if you have any team, if you have the majority of the people behind those closed doors are team players, uh, but. Well, I- Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I just uh, I'll good good luck. Just please go in there and use your years of leadership to get them to rally around somebody. Uh, there's a Wall Street Journal story today that talked about the 14-page manual of maps and artillery bases that was uncovered on major f- of the thousand plus fighters who were killed uh, killing Israelis on Saturday. And they talk about this plan was dated June 15th of this year. They talk about details of maps, some from open source intelligence, some from seems like cyber hacks on on uh, on the operations of the Israelis. The map marks places like synagogues and kindergartens they planned on hitting. There were additional details of maps and how they prepared for this fight and how they went to school for year for a long, since back to 2021 on Israelis, their moves. Uh, and their operations. It gets into much more detail. How important is it to for you to understand, not you, but Americans understand and Israelis understand what went into that operation? It's incredibly important because we can no longer pretend like Iran is not the enemy of the free world. They simply are. So again, plain spoken, This is a state-sponsored attack by Iran facilitated by their enablers called Hamas and Islamic Jihad. So here's the the terrible part about this, Brian. You know, I I represent the southwestern part of Wisconsin. It's the most beautiful part in the entire world. This is how screwed up this administration is. Um, The guy that's milking cows, he's already milked once today. He's going to milk cows three times a day and pay his taxes or her taxes. Those tax dollars were dispensed by the Biden administration to Iran that helped buy weapons for Hamas to attack Israel. Yep. That, that's the truth. Um, now, I'm going to say this. Um, we need to right now make sure that we're holding the executive branch accountable, but we also have to make sure that we're supporting the executive branch during this time of crisis. And those two things can exist in the same universe. So I will be doing everything I can to help the executive branch 
help Israel and secure the, uh, the United States. You got to remember, we have, we don't even know actually how many American hostages there are being held captive by savages in Gaza, the West Bank. We don't know if they're moved to Syria or Lebanon or anything. So right now is the time to unify. That's Democrats and Republicans together to make sure that our executive branch can exercise the full spectrum of combat power to help destroy these savages and remove them uh, from the battle space. Um, that, that's what needs to happen. So I'm going to hold the Biden administration accountable because they are culpable in many different ways, particularly financially. But I'm also going to support and, you know, how I feel about the Biden administration and Secretary Blanken and all those guys and Lloyd Austin. I, I think that uh, there's some of the, the worst um, members of the executive branch in the history of the country. But right now is the time that I'm going to stand. If they need help from me and my fellow Congress people, we're going to help them. We're going to get through this and we're going to hold them accountable. My problem but, is uh, if they don't you know, ask you going to hold these guys. Yeah, if they don't ask you, that's my problem. Uh, but yeah. well, Brian, Brian, these people need to understand that I am a member of a co-equal branch of government, and the founding fathers were so concerned that the House of Representatives would be too powerful. They were very concerned. They wanted to curb our powers. Now, unfortunately, you know, I've been here for nine months, but my predecessors from both parties have abdicated their responsibilities, representatives of the people, and they handed it over to the executive branch so they can keep getting elected by not taking tough votes. Well, guess what? There's a new sheriff in town. We're not doing that. We, my freshman class of Republicans, we all got together and met uh, last night. You've got some of the strongest leaders I've ever met in my life, and I've met a lot of strong leaders. I've met a lot of honorable men and women, and my group of freshman Republicans here, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And we got people from the Freedom Caucus to the dudes from New York that are, you know, much, much more liberal than I am. So the entire political and ideological spectrum is represented by a young group of Republicans here in the House, and we're all in. And that's wonderful. So I want people to have hope, you know. Um, we are going to get through this time of crisis. We are going to help Israel. Uh, we're going to uh, help them if, in any way, shape, or form, intelligence assets, uh, military aid. To crush Hamas because the Jewish people don't just have a right to exist. They have the right to exist in peace and safety for their kids and their grandkids. And if we're not helping to do that, we're wrong. I'll say this again. Jews are being slaughtered at a level that they have not been since the Holocaust. And it, all these, you know, anti-fascist guys that are putting on masks and breaking windows and stuff. Hey, guess what? Buy a ticket to Israel. You want to fight fascism? It's Hamas. It is. And what so, about what know, about some of these students protesting for Palestine? Why don't we get them to Gaza? It's a beautiful place, I hear. So why don't they move? Hey, right, right, Brian. Let me tell you what, man. I do not think that we should be giving a single cent to any university that allows these students to make these incredibly hateful terroristic threats. Like, why is why is my dairy farmer in Wisconsin who's milking three times a day? Why are his tax dollars being funneled to Harvard? So that they have all these student groups that can say that it's it's not just okay, but they should be slaughtering Jews. That's not okay. It wouldn't be okay if they said it's okay to slaughter Palestinians. So that we, as American taxpayers, should not be funding these universities that are doing this. Why do they we even need shouldn't. a dollar with their with? I mean, and while they're charging seventy five thousand a year. Lastly, just real quick, it looks like some of our weapons yes, got into uh, Gaza, also North Korean they weapons. They found F-7 rocket-propelled grenades over there. North Korea denies it. But the axis of evil is supporting all evil. We have to – don't you think it's time? I know there's a downside to it. You recognize you make these guys your enemies. We could have a world war. But at some point, we have to say what we all know, don't we? 
Yes, we do, Brian. Where does anybody think that all those weapons that we left in Afghanistan, uh, they're like in an armory in Kabul? All right, we'll take care of these. We're not going to give them to anybody. Does anybody think that our American taxpayers' dollars that we gave to Iran to the tune of hundreds of millions, not billions of dollars, do you think that that's in an escrow account because they want to buy a nice house on the Black Sea at some point? No. Those tax dollars were used to buy weapons that were given to Hamas to attack Israel. Joe Biden abandoned Afghanistan in possibly the most disgraceful move by any president in the history of our country. We left billions of dollars worth of advanced weaponry, and those weapons, I bet you dimes to dollars, are right now – being used to kill Israelis. And if we get involved in this, which I pray to God we do not, but if we do, we must crush them. The weapons that were left in Afghanistan will be used and turned on American troops. And that that lies squarely on Joe Biden's shoulder. Don't try to equivocate with me and say it was Trump's plan. He, he broke every other thing that Trump did, including the border, but he felt obligated to follow President Trump's timeline. You know what? That dog don't hunt. Uh, and, and the problem was it was conditions based. And the other number of things, Condoleezza right. Rice said it last night. We gave up this yeah. large border between Iran uh, and between Iran and Afghanistan. We gave it up. We gave up the base there. Think about how valuable that would Bagram would be right now. Brian, I've spent uh, well over a year and a half of my life in Afghanistan, and the way Bagram was set up, set up by the Soviet Union, actually. Um, the way it was set up logistically was very clever. It's in the middle of a, a huge plane, so you have to use something called RAPS, which are rocket-assisted projectiles. A regular uh, artillery round um, would not make it. Excuse me, a regular rocket would make it because of the distance is so great, and you're able to surveil the hills and all that stuff. Um, I spent a lot of time there, and uh, giving that up was again just a massive strategic blunder by. It's an unforced error by the Biden administration. So we're not pulling punches here. But we are, Brian, as I said again, and I want everyone to understand this, we're going to support the executive branch during this time of crisis because that's what mature adult right. Americans do. So do we me a favor, Congressman Derek Van Orden. you got to go yes, behind sir. closed doors and pick a speaker. Get guys like you, Michael Walsh, correct. to stand up. All that leadership that you, you learned about, demand it. Don't open the door unless you have a speaker. Very well. I'm on it, Brian. You, uh, God bless you and your family, man. All right. Back Take at care. you, too. And his son's in the military. one 408 Listen, uh, we have a lot to discuss, and a lot of it's breaking. Uh, I don't know what is straight ahead, uh, but we'll be, we'll, we have cameras everywhere and reporters on the job. We'll bring it to you all. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's still sitting uh, in the Cuttery Bank. All of it. Every every dime of it. I'd also remind, because this, you know, I, I, in certain audiences, inconvenient facts are easy to forget. The re- regime was never going to see a dime of that money. And this account although it's moved from South Korea to Qatar, was set up by the previous administration for this exact purpose. What is, what is his problem? Uh, I had so much respect for Admiral Kirby. He's not spinning the news. He's telling falsities. Of course they're going to see the money. You even said they're going to see the money. You said they could only use it for humanitarian purposes. And if you expect Qatar to clamp down on Iran, it's Qatar, their leaders, sitting with Hamas leaders, cheering the attacks 
on Israelis, the butchering of infants. So now you want them to crack down on Iran? Who's supplying weapons and money and weapons manufacturing facilities for Hamas, Iran? So now they're going to say, I'm sorry, I saw your deposit slip, Khomeini, but unless you promise me this is for powdered milk, I can't give it to you. And if you do want to use it for medicine, they use it for other things. But I do know, according to the Washington Post and New York Times, it looks like that money is frozen. Now let me play it out. Iran said if that is really true and it's frozen, we will begin to attack American positions in the Middle East. That would, of course, uh, alert people in Syria as well as in Iraq. Saudi Arabia, too, by the way. I know we got a presence in Bahrain. And if you do that, you know we're going to answer. There is a report now that Hezbollah has uh, decided to join Hamas in a war against Israel. I'm going to f- expand on that when we come back. Lucas Tomlinson in Washington. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. one 408 7669 Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Why do you feel so strongly about speaking to these families personally on Zoom? Because I think they have to know that the President of the United States of America cares deeply about what's happening. Deeply. We have to communicate to the world this is critical. This is not even human behavior. It's, it's pure barbarism. And we're going to do everything in our power to get them home if we can find them. Okay. That is uh, President Biden. That was a cut from 60 Minutes. Uh, Scott Pelley doing the interview. I would just love to know, too, Mr. President, you can't blame people uh, for thinking that you don't really care that much because of the thousands you left behind in Afghanistan. And also, Mr. President, out of the 25 countries that have provided private flights uh, and chartered flights to get their people out of Israel, we have 20,000 there, and you're not one of them. What do you say to the American citizens that are in Israel looking to get out of harm's way? Lucas Tomlinson joins me now, a Fox News correspondent extraordinaire uh, who's got this rich military background. He served. Lucas, welcome. Uh, tell, you, me, tell me what's happening in Washington right now. Well, as you mentioned, one of the big things are these flights. The State Department is getting up to speed on contracting out some chartered flights. Uh, some might be involved in the military, other third party, but to get any uh, Americans, and of course that includes dual citizens who want to leave Israel out of the country, because of course, uh, you know, civilian airliners, that's all you know, getting maxed out. And you mentioned the dozens of other countries that are getting their people out, and that is the priority right now. Of course, what came up at the White House briefing yesterday was if over two dozen Americans have been killed in the fighting. What's the U.S. military response is that Biden administration has an obligation to join in the effort. Uh, John Kirby yesterday said uh, this is, uh, you know, Israel saying this is our fight. He said, some uh, paraphrasing here, that uh, Israel doesn't want foreign troops on its soil, uh, but certainly uh, the U.S. military is helping with intelligence gathering and targeting. So we're hearing some scenarios. We're hearing scenarios, uh, a warning to Hezbollah, don't get in. And if you do get in, we'll get in. Iran saying, hey, U.S., if you freeze the $10 billion, we're going to go after targeting your assets in the region. We saw Saudi Arabia and Iran had a conversation, but Saudi Arabia did not come out and say we're no longer pursuing relations with with uh, Israel. You want to talk about those developments? Sure. Well, the main thing, that's why this started. I mean, remember uh, Brett Baer's interview with uh, the 
de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, known as MBS, you know, he said, Brett asked him, you know, are you close to relations with Israel? For the first time in history, this is supposed to be historic. And MBS said, we're getting closer every day. And then just a few days later in New York, Brett interviews uh, Israel's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. He said, we're also closer. And many people don't think it's a coincidence that this war has erupted uh, since those statements were made. And Iran does not want to see peace between Saudi Arabia and Israel. In fact, Senator Tom Cotton was very forceful about that in a statement saying Iran is behind this whole thing. So uh, I thought the Secretary of State's uh, comments were very strong, talked about being Jewish Mm -hmm. and how this is personal. Secretary of Defense came in today and it seems physically, you know, the the remarks were unremarkable, but it shows an alliance. Secretary of Defense meeting with his counterpart in person in a war zone. I'll give you that. But I just can't get over the initial remarks that came out in joint uh, a joint tweet from the Turkey saying both sides want you know a ceasefire and, and cease of hostilities. And right, the, let's remember, go ahead. Just a week ago, Brian, pardon to interrupt, but just a week ago, a uh, U.S. Air Force fighter jet shot down a Turkish drone over Syria because this Turkish armed drone was flying near yeah. U.S. forces. We still have hundreds of troops on the ground in Syria. Just remind our listeners, in eastern Syria, you have 2,500 troops in Iraq still, and then Iran's proxies in the region have said uh, we will attack those forces if the U.S. gets too involved. You now have the uh, USS Gerald Ford Strike Group in the eastern Mediterranean. I just remind our listeners that Ford is the largest warship in the world, doesn't even have steam catapults. It has new electromagnetic uh, catapults. And one quick note, uh, one of the pilots aboard Ford, the, the uh, commanding officer of the Raging Bulls of uh, the F-A-37 flying uh, uh, F-18 Super Hornets, that pilot six years ago shot down a Syrian jet in 2017. It was the first time a U.S. military pilot had shot down an enemy aircraft since 1999. That guy, uh, Mike Tremel, Commander Mike Tremel, is now the commanding officer of that squad. So uh, he's back in the Eastern Med. But as we heard from the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, he was saying the only way the U.S. would get involved is if Hezbollah gets involved in in Lebanon, um, that none of the U.S. forces in the in the Eastern Med. None of those guided missile destroyers, the cruiser or the carrier and dozens of strike aircraft are going to be getting in the scrap against Hamas. Unless they have to. Uh, We're going to let 550,000 rockets rain down on Israel. Buildings will fall. Uh, people, there'll be mass casualties, and I, we have 20,000 people there. We've already lost 29. So right. I imagine Hezbollah gets in. They should know we'll be in, and I'm not advocating or or or, or uh, arguing against it, but I do think we it would work in our behalf to spell out exactly what their entrance would be because I'm seeing reports now that Hezbollah says they're ready to join Hamas in fighting and Hezbollah Israel. Has, and Hezbollah has up to 100,000 fighters. Uh, officials I've spoken to, uh, former Navy SEALs and the current uh, top officials say if Hezbollah pulls the pin on this, Brian, this thing could spread regionally very, very quickly. So uh, Iran has also been warned, don't, one word, uh, don't try it, uh, think about it. We're hearing about uh, a pushback on Iran. What could you tell us about the frozen $10 billion? In the beginning, people were fending that off. It's misinformation. How dare you bring that up? That money is being kept in a Qatari account. It can use it only for humanitarian purposes. Obviously, we know if you, if you don't need medicine, if you don't have to spend it for medicine and food, you can go take your money and spend it elsewhere. But now that money seems to be frozen, correct? 
that's what they're saying. Quietly frozen was the quote from uh, the anonymous White House official. What's notable, though, Brian, uh, is that, you know, if you told me, hey, Lucas, uh, surprise, I'm going to give you uh, a $10,000 raise. You could, I could be forgiven to take my family out to dinner and start celebrating, right? That's the argument that many top Israeli officials are saying, that money's fungible. We're hearing it uh, from Republicans on Capitol Hill that – Okay, fine. You're not spending the $10 billion, but if you know uh, you've got $10 billion coming your way, that certainly frees you up. You don't have to be an accountant to understand that uh, you have uh, $10 billion coming your way. Even if it's frozen, you can spend money elsewhere. So Condoleezza Rice was on with Sean yesterday. You know, She was the one who called for the election in uh, the Palestinian territories, and to stunningly, stunningly, Hamas won it, and that immediately right. broke off any type of relations. We don't have relations with, obviously, terror groups. Ruthless ones. Here's what she said, uh, how we should deal with Iran. Cut 33. I would start by saying that, uh, yes, Iran, a state sponsor of terrorism, uh, bears uh, some responsibility for what has happened. I know there are questions about how directly were they involved. But, you know, we know that Iran is the major, the, the primary funder of, Hezbollah, of, uh, of Hamas and uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. They are the trainer of uh, these groups. Uh, and, of course, they were celebrating in Tehran when this happened. So uh, how to deal with uh, Iran? Uh, I think it starts with isolating them. I think it starts with what actually the Biden administration has done. I think sending the carrier battle groups uh, into the region uh, is a good idea. But uh, this should really uh, erase any notion that the Iranian regime can be dealt with. Yeah. And she went on to say how noteworthy it is that Afghanistan shares its long border with Iran, and we had, a, we had a military base there, and we chose to abandon it. Think about how advantageous it would be for us now to have Bagram. Sure. Uh, the, the Bagram and also Bagram is not far from China's border as well. Many people have advocated, uh, Mike Walsh and other Republicans, uh, that having a base in Afghanistan would have been critical right now. Um, now, it's interesting that uh, Condi said that uh, Iran bears some responsibility for this. You know, Many would push back on that statement saying Iran bears total responsibility. They've funded Hamas to the tune of some $100 million a year. You've seen what uh, they've done with some of the humanitarian aid. Hamas put out a propaganda video showing the water pipes uh, under the ground. They were digging up those pipes, chopping them up into little pieces and turning them into some of the rockets that have been raining down on Israel. Well, we are getting reports now that fighting is heating up on the Lebanon border uh, as the war escalates. Griff Jenkins reported this morning that – let me just read it – this for urgent – that uh, Border Patrol officials had confirmed to Fox News that uh, last night they apprehended two Lebanese men in their early 20s coming into our country at Eagle Pass. So it's impossible to consider yourself astute and I think mature to think to yourself that that border for people that don't want, don't have good intentions for America is not susceptible to terror activity. And we know we've had about 200 from the FBI uh, terrorist watch list come through. The number in 2019 was zero. And now it's getting higher all the time. You can't, you can't help if you're an American uh, get a little worried at this hour, especially in a day in which we'll watch Hamas call for a day of rage. Day of jihad. It, it's it's exactly right. And look at uh, you know look at the importance of borders. Just a week ago on Saturday, when Hamas, a thousand operatives, made it over that fence. And what's interesting is a uh, uh, former Israeli commando told me that normally if a cat touches that fence, Brian, uh, an alarm will be tripped. You usually have a jeep or an attack helicopter overhead very quickly. So, uh, if anything, the importance of a border, you know, 
our listeners certainly understand it, but just to put a fine point on it, uh, borders are critical. They're critical for national security. They're critical for national sovereignty. So why were they able to get over that fence? They're still they're still looking at that and just have not heard a good answer yet. Uh, many officials saying, let's deal with this war, then we'll go back for the hot wash or the after action report. But it, it is notable that uh, this is a very sensitive border, but none of those sensors appeared to work. Uh, cameras were taken out, sensors taken out. Uh, certainly, you know, you have these tunnels aren't just under Gaza. They extend into Israel as well, as we tragically saw last weekend. There's an expansive article uh, in the Wall Street Journal in a column that talked about what they found on these dead fighters. And that was a 14-page manual that dates back to 2021. Uh, This was printed in 2023 in June, uh, and they put this all together. And uh, it could have been from a cyber hack as well as open source intelligence. Putting together, they figured out the Israelis were responding in three to five minutes. They didn't get close to that. And by the time they came through with their bulldozers and their Toyotas and their drones and their paragliders, their targets were civilians. They had targets of kindergartens as well as military bases. So that's what I think the people listening to us right now should understand. We can't get our head around how somebody could see a four-year-old and think, I need to kill that kid. And that was their target. It wasn't incidental. It wasn't a by the way. That's where they were heading, Lucas. That's right. And Dan Henniger made this point in his column in the journal as well, that civilians are targets now. We saw it on the battlefield of Ukraine. We're seeing it in Israel. Uh, think about that music festival. We had hundreds of, of mostly young kids not far from the Gaza border. Uh, and certainly that had to be a hell of a way to wake up from an MDMA trip. Lucas Tomlinson uh, from Washington doing a great job. Um, Lucas, where are you going to be today? Or do you have a well-earned off day? Brian, I am at the Bureau, but I just got orders to uh, head to the region, so I will be in Israel in, in the coming days. So All right. We'll talk then. Uh, that'll be great. Uh, Lucas, grab your stuff. It's going to be great for us to be there. Stay safe. Can't wait. No promises, Brian. Looking <laughs> right. forward to recording from there. You got it. Lucas Tomlinson, while everyone's flying out, he's flying in. one uh, 866 I'll come back with some calls. Did not know Lucas was going to say that, uh, but he's going to join Mike Tobin, Trey Yingst, and uh, Greg Palcott on the ground. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. This is a major organization we're dealing with that has 130,000 plus rockets and missiles. If they get into the fight, I hope we've already told the Iranians that we will respond in kind to you if your number one proxy joins this fight. I would have liked the declaration to be made public, but I can understand its value also in doing it privately so somebody doesn't have to call a public statement like that, a public declaration. So that is General Keene with me this morning. Uh, he is uh, talking about what's at stake and, and the ripple effects of if Hezbollah gets involved, if Iran gets involved, or if if the investigation on this leads back to Iran, keep in mind, we're the ones with 15 people missing, assumed to be hostages. We're the one with 29 dead. So it's not as if we're just protecting an ally. We're also defending our interests in the area. So these are some of the things that are, that are happening while we still don't have a House speaker. There's no speaker of the House. There's no money to be emergency funding to be done. I don't think uh, Patrick McHenry has been empowered as a speaker uh, as a temporary speaker, to be able to do this, they're also talking about putting an aid package with Ukraine, Taiwan, as well as 
as well as Israel. I know that will upset some Republicans. It wouldn't upset me. So there, there's a lot. There's so much at stake here. And a lot of it is we look at our enemies and they have to say to themselves, is this worth it? And it's been speculated by analysts and, and experts in the region that Hamas is already or, or Iran's already getting everything they want. Why would they muddy this up and put Hezbollah in? Why would they risk losing that paramilitary force to a superior force who, by the way, when, when Israel went in, they were going block by block in, in Beirut. Uh, in Lebanon, to go get them. They're not going to be nearly as careful now. When it turns out with Hezbollah, they put those rockets in between neighborhoods. They're just going to start leveling things because that's the footing they're on. And Hezbollah's got to say to themselves, we're a political organization. We've been around since 1982. We're, we're the gold standard for terrorists. Is this the fight we want? Corey, listening in St. Louis. Hey, Corey. Yes, I'm just concerned if anyone's focusing on this new kind of axis powers of Russia, China, and Iran, and wondering if there would be another potential for China attacking uh, Taiwan now. Yes. And it's a, just by death by a thousand cuts to us and also with our border. And just people coming across and basically pulling us in all these different directions and going against our treaties and things that we have, that it could be, is anyone looking out for this potential coming from China as well? Uh, that's a great point, and that easily could be an opportunity. You know, it seems like China and Russia are never expended in there because they have no friends. They have no allies. They have each other, and they just uh, they evil it out. So I think the one thing that Russia is misconceiving, they said that attention is going to go away from Ukraine. I don't think it is. All they need is the resources with Ukraine. The less attention on Ukraine, I think the better, which is part of the reason why I never understood the pullout of Afghanistan. We were not even talking about it. Like, we don't talk about Gitmo. Remember, it was a big deal. Uh, President Obama ran on closing Gitmo. I'm going to close Gitmo. We still have the same guys there where there's no room to cut it. It actually works to the advantage to leave it. Number two, I think it works to our advantage to have a presence in Afghanistan. It wasn't a hot war. And I think it works to our advantage to make sure Ukraine is financed properly in order to take down Russia, which they're in the process of doing. Latest news, they forced the Russian fleet out of Crimea. That's not easy, but it's done. Jose is in Texas. Hey, Jose. Hey, Brian. Just wanted to state the uh, one thing about uh, Iran and them being a Shia Muslim dominated nation versus a uh, Sunni-dominated uh, nation uh, in the other, other Muslim sect. Uh, the Shia believe that for them to bring on the second coming of, of the Prophet or the basically the uh, salvation of the earth, or, 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 or uh, let's say the cleansing of the earth, is to envelop the earth on fire. You can think of that as their theology, or you can think of that as the Shia presupposition and vision right. of the world. So to look for, 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 the, for Iran to, to be in any way reasonable in, in uh, arranging the world is nuts. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Love that point. Uh, hey, I'm going to be talking about this and everything else on stage, talking about our history, my book, Teddy and Booker T., Go to BrianKilme.com. We'll be on stage in Red Bank, New Jersey, Ponte Vedra, The Villages. I also will be in Huntsville as well as Montgomery on stage. Just go to BrianKilme.com. Just get yourself some tickets, and I'll see you in person. 
From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, one. Latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. He comes here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world, where we know uh, right now there's 36,000, should be 39,000 NYPD officers who were told, come to work, get dressed, come to work, because uh, we're on high alert, because we don't have any, uh, there's no indication that we have any formal attack plan that we're looking to unwind, but there's a general global sense of Hamas wants you to act out and support them. And we see the huge rally in Yemen. We see a huge rally in Jordan. We see them trying to breach the fence there. Uh, we see some unrest in Ramallah, part of the West Bank. We'll follow it all. Shannon Bream's going to be with us and uh, warfighter Tim Kennedy. He's also with Save Our Allies. He's trying to get people out of now Israel because our government, once again, is not. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Scalise, who's a great guy, was at 113. In the interim, I think, given what's happening around the world, that having Speaker Pro Tem uh, McHenry empowered, which they could do, the bipartisan agreement, pass significant legislation, particularly about Israel. Newt Gingrich, uh, I'm not sure that'll work, but what a conundrum. With all his knowledge and all his experience in government, he has not seen anything like this. And we're talking about the quest for the GOP to get a speaker. We'll tell you the selfish latest. Number two. The former head of Hamas asked people to hit the streets, calling it, quote, a day of rage in support of Palestinians. Back here in U.S. cities, they are stepping up their security. Enemy within. A day of jihad around the world as Hamas calls on supporters to rise up and strike. How safe are we? How safe are you? We'll discuss. Number one. The Israelis are giving Palestinians inside the Gaza Strip just 24 hours to evacuate. That's 1.1 million people, an indication that Israel is likely preparing to go in on the ground. Ground war in Gaza, probably hours away. We also hear that Hezbollah ready to get in from the north. We cover it all. From Saturday's terror plans that have now been unwound, the Wall Street Journal details of the 14-page attack plan, which sadly worked. Shannon Bream joins us now, anchor of Fox News Sunday, Fox News chief political uh, legal analyst and author of the book, The Love Stories of the Bible Speak. Let's go back to the land of the Bible, and that's Israel. Shannon, man, have things changed uh, in a week? Yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's devastating. It's shocking. Um, You know, it's to the point where you got to take a little break and look away from this stuff. But the reality is people living there get no break. Um, We talk about the people trying to evacuate, whether it's Americans or others who want do not want to be in the middle of this. Um, This is a war. It's a very ugly situation. Um, There's some pressure on the Biden administration to put more pressure on Egypt, for example, to allow passage out of the south. Um, And you've got, you know, a million plus people trying to figure out what to do. So there are reports now that Hezbollah is ready to get involved. How does that Mm -hmm. change everything? Well, listen, I mean, our administration has repeatedly warned them not to do it. Uh, There have been warnings. I thought it was interesting. Um, The general was on this morning. I think General Keene, I think you may have been talking with him. when he, You know, um, he laid out some very specific consequences he thinks should happen to Iran directly if Hezbollah does get involved. Hezbollah was celebrating, saying our guns and our missiles are with you. They've praised what Hamas has done. And um, they probably see a time when Israel is going to be pulled in a lot of different directions, as is the U.S., and maybe this is a great time to carry out more terror. 
So we know this. It looks like the $6 billion has been frozen, even though the administration kept saying it's nothing to do with this, it's nothing to do with this. It looks like it is frozen. And Iran is on the record saying if you freeze that $6 billion, we're going to start targeting your assets in the region. What mm-hmm. do you think? Well, listen, it's not just the $6 billion, which the administration rightly says not a penny of that has flowed to this particular attack. That's true. But there's a lot of money that has flowed to that region, and some of it, uh, you know, a lot of it from the U.S. And so if we know there are bad actors there, and even over the summer there were some disbursements that were going to go into this area, that there were real concerns within the administration about doing it, about where it would end up and the money ending up in terrorist hands. There are all kinds of other flows of money that you can say, like, all right, we stopped that $6 billion. But the truth is is we've poured other money into that region. And so, you know, yes, we want that to get to the Iranian people. Their economy is in shambles. They need help. But do we have any confidence that it's not going to flow through these leaders and be sent to places like Hezbollah or Hamas? Of course not. We know these just okay. I don't need to spend on uh, a baby formula. I don't need to spend on uh, my Head Start program. Uh, I'm going to be able to spend that money. I'll use that domestic money for that. Uh, I'll use that money for the humanitarian stuff. And I'll use the other stuff for weapons. We know this. The more money that flows into Iran, the more Hezbollah and Hamas and Islamic Jihad get. In terms of what the fight, I want you to hear what General, you just mentioned General Keene this morning. Mm-hmm. So I want you to hear uh, what he said. We rolled it last hour. This is a major organization we're dealing with that has 130,000 plus rockets and missiles. If they get into the fight, I hope we've already told the Iranians that we will respond in kind to you if your number one proxy joins this fight. I would have liked the declaration to be made public, but I can understand its value also in doing it privately so somebody doesn't have to call a public statement like that, a public declaration. So so it's been analysts have looked at this, and they said if a two-front war happens coming from the north and the south, even with the missile defense systems, uh, they said Israel's much vaunted Iron Dome um, uh, will not be able to handle all of it. And they say buildings in Tel Aviv will fall. Uh, hundreds of people will die mm. in that in that city. Uh, there, That's the capability of both uh, Hezbollah and Hamas. We only have so much in missile defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this will be both our both their both the enemies of Israel showing themselves attacking at the same time, even though fundamentally they have different views of their own religion. Yeah. And I mean, right. There are divisions even within those who want to carry Shia out and Sunni, yeah. terrorist activity. Um, and I think it's we keep trying to make this effort. It's important to separate that from the people. These are extremist factions who are about terrorism and they don't speak for the people who are also suffering under their madness. Um you know, but for Israel, you think about, you mentioned Tel Aviv. Think about the fact that I've been in and out of that city. It's a metropolitan city. It's, you know, just like any city you would see, a major city here in the U.S. It's always on guard because there are threats from its very dangerous neighborhood all the time. But it's highly populated. That is the airport in and out of Israel. So you really start to cause damage there in Tel Aviv. Um, and that is a lifeline to Israel, to the outside world in many respects. So I want you to hear what it would be like if this fight actually takes place and knowing that today the biggest challenge will be what's beneath the earth. And that is this network of tunnels. They say 300 miles Mm -hmm. of tunnels. And if Hamas can plan the initial strike so thoroughly and successfully, what do they have plans knowing that we all know that Israel is going into Gaza? Cut 11, Major John Spencer. 
It's going to look like hell on earth. I mean, you can't do the operation the IDF need to do to pry those Hamas terrorists out of the cities of Gaza without being extremely destructive. We're already seeing that, but it's going to be a really tough challenge for the IDF to face them deep buried in the tunnels and in the bunkers and the rubble. Uh, it's going to be really uh, look like it's going to look like scorched earth, but the IDF follow the laws of war. It's just what happens in urban warfare. Yeah, and everybody that knows that does the urban warfare, they say it's the hardest, let alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete was explaining to me, Pete Hegseth says, when you, you go into Mosul and Fallujah, you think you clear a building, and it is cleared. But up from the tunnels come another force. Right. And you never know what's underneath. Yeah, and it, it, it is extremely dangerous and time-consuming, building by building, street by street. It is going to take time, which, you know, Netanyahu has warned his people repeatedly. You know, we think about major victories of Israel in the past, you know, a seven-day war and things that came together quickly. But if they're really going to get rid of Hamas leadership and uproot everything that they can, it is going to take that kind of street-by-street fighting and something that takes a really long time. Um, and so people are going to have to gird themselves. While you've got Hamas saying to um, you know, civilians in Gaza, like, don't leave. It's fine. Don't go anywhere. When they know exactly what they're doing, they use human shields all the time, uses schools and hospitals and all kinds of things. Um, and they don't really have care for the people that, um, you know, claim to be, they claim to have under their protection and their interests at heart. Um, they just don't. So the New York Times has a report that a tight circle of leaders from Iran, Hezbollah and Hamas planned the attack over a year ago, trained militants and had advanced knowledge. Obviously, if you train them, you have advanced knowledge. That mm-hmm. change, if that if the administration is going to keep saying, "Why well, I see no link," these are friendly organizations. This isn't these are people that they love leaking to. So I'm wondering how long the Wall Street Journal, New York Times can get this story, but the administration can't unwind it. Yeah, I mean, and again, it goes back to the fact that that you know there's been very fluid. Um, you know, sharing of resources between Iran and Hezbollah and Hamas. And if they're out there publicly praising them, and you've got in the past, you know, we had Iran saying, well, if they could get their hands on the $6 billion, we're going to spend our money how we want to spend our money. And you've got them publicly saying, you know, Hamas is doing a great job, death to America, death to Israel. Um, yes, there may not be a direct link that Iran helped to plan this specific attack, but they've enabled in many ways. But it looks like they did. Iran. But it looks like they did. If they, I mean, so you had a Follow this lead. I'm sure the reporters would say, listen, this is what I found out. You might want to take a look. Mm -hmm. Wall Street Journal said the same thing uh, almost. Oh, is it Monday or Sunday? So, Shannon, it's going to be really hard. I mean, I know the administration would love to get back in nuclear talks with this evil regime. uh, (laughs) But have they yet been uh, have they yet not been uh, taught enough? Lastly, uh, before we get to your guests, uh, Steve Scalise stepped aside, said, I actually Mm -hmm. have less votes after trying to get 217 votes. So I'm out. So Kevin McCarthy's out. Steve Scalise is out. Steve Scalise beat Jim Jordan. We have people saying I'm voting for Donald Trump. Uh, Chip Roy uh, says it's too quick. I want to take my time. Uh, We have uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene saying Kevin McCarthy. So what's going on here, Shannon? What do your sources say? It's really hard. You have such a narrow majority for the GOP over in the House, and that means that just a handful of people can disrupt anything you're trying to get done. Um, you've got uh, Mike McCall, you know, the chair of the House GOP, um, uh, GOP chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, saying, guys, our enemies are watching this. Like, we got to get it together. But when you have different groups and small factions out there saying, I'll never vote for X and filling in the name, um, the question becomes, okay, who can you vote for? Who can everybody agree on at this point? You've got people up there saying, we're going to 
vote for President Trump for Speaker of the House because, yeah, you don't have to be a member of the House, but get serious. You're not going to get to 217 votes on that. What can you get to 217 votes on? They had this, you know, meeting this morning that they've been, you know, ongoing for House GOP. Um, can they get to a consensus? You're right. Jim Jordan, it was close, but he lost to Steve Scalise. So are you going to put him up now, whether it be a Byron Donald or somebody else? Just don't know. Scott Perry says there's no path for Steve Scalise. Jim Jordan said... Uh, to Steve Scalise, when he lost the vote to him, you have one ballot. When you when you don't get it, endorse me. Uh, fantastic. Ann <laughs> Wagner, Congresswoman, heard about that and said, under no circumstances will I vote for Jim Jordan. Okay, fantastic. Con- Congresswoman Anna Paul, uh, Paul Luna, Anna Luna, mm-hmm. no longer supporting Scalise. Uh, uh, no longer, yeah, no longer supporting Scalise. Kevin Hearn might jump in. Tom Emmers might jump in. Mm-hmm. But Jim Banks said he supported Jordan for the conference vote, reacted with uh, a statement saying he would remain committed to doing everything he can to direct to get the next speaker done. Ken Buck says it's not, it, it's not exactly a soothsayer, but he says when Scalise and Jordan presented their uh, cases for speaker, Buck was skeptical anyone would wrap this up quickly. And it isn't wrapping up quickly. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there's some major things that have to be addressed. And Senator Joni Ernst told me over the week uh, yesterday on this show that that was one common question that all these governments had as she did a Codell through the Middle East. Mm-hmm. What is going on with your house and your government? It's embarrassing. Well, yeah, like I said, that warning from Mike McCall, who is very plugged in um, and traveling the globe as well, saying people who wish to do harm to the U.S. and to Israel and to other allies of ours are watching this. They know that the House can't move forward legislation for more funding for Israel. There's talk that the White House wants to tie that to Ukraine funding. There are all kinds of foreign policy and domestic implications of not having a speaker. But people who wish us harm are happy to see it. The chaos. Who's going to be on Sunday? Do you know yet? We do. We're going to have John Kirby is going to join us from the White House uh, to talk about where we are and questions about funding and, and you know, what this White House has done um, to this point, what they're going to do moving forward, how we better the situation over there if we can. Um, we've got Tom Cotton with us, too, to talk intel and foreign policy on all these matters. Um, we'll have somebody from the IDF on the ground live to tell us how things are going. Are we in the middle of the ground incursion yet? And also Ben Sass. You remember he used to be a sure. senator. He's now um, president of UF, University of Florida, and talking about, you know, he put out a statement, very clear, very unequivocal. I'm going to protect my Jewish students. There is no moral equivalency in these two sides um, when it comes to Hamas and these atrocities. And it shouldn't be so hard for college presidents to get this right. That is uh, some great guests, uh, Shannon Bream. We will watch on Fox News Sunday live coverage on Saturday night. I'll be watching. Yes, nine to eleven. I'll I'll be uh, I'll be there live. So if you do want to text me during the show, I'll be able to answer you. I'll be taking notes. Thanks so much, uh, okay, Shannon bye. Bream. You're the best. Back in a moment. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmeade Show. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews, on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Israelis over there are calling you guys terrorists. I'm not surprised. They are the terrorists. That's bull****. We're not terrorists, man. We're just protecting our own land. That's it. There is nothing wrong with that term. What is the end goal here? The end goal is to free Palestine. There cannot be an Israeli. There cannot be. There cannot be an ethno-suppression.
supremacist state. So what does Joe Biden need to do? Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Joe Biden making it worse. America first. America first. Not Israel first. I spoke to a guy before this and he said America first. You weren't happy with that. Why? Israel would not exist without America. So no America first for you? No. Are you an American? Yes. And you don't want to put America first? No. Yeah, that is so typical, right? You don't, they don't even know what they're saying. They're sitting there. We don't want our country first. We don't like our country's allies. We don't like our country's history. We want to give the land back to the Indians. Right. How about your house? Give it back to the Indians. I think the Iroquois live there. Wherever you are, let's give it back to the Apaches. Let's just do that. And I think uh, everyone in England should give it back to the Normans. Oh, do we still have any? Uh, who were the invaders of England? Was it the Normans, Eric? Or Allison, do you know? Okay. We should give it, if we could find them. Are there any Vikings around? Because the Vikings were here first. We should really give it back to them and give it to the, let the Indians and the Vikings share it. It's just absolutely crazy. These people don't understand what they're even saying. I mean, but the, what, what bothers me most, I don't even think they're watching the news. They just say, you know, what would be counterculture thing to do? Well, the U.S. has always supported Israel. So let's go back for the little guy, the little guy that just killed little guys and little girls uh, and raped them. Fantastic. Through a sophisticated raid, which was well-financed, and now they're putting their citizens, Palestinian citizens, who are not involved in this, that we believe, in harm's way, preventing them from running from the hills because the Israelis have just dropped flyers, and there's videos available, unless people think it was faked, uh, dropped flyers to say, go to the south, get out of the way, we're coming in, and dropping they say they drop these metal bangers on the top of buildings, and that's the signal. We're going to bomb your building. Get out. And Hamas is preventing those citizens from getting out because they believe the way to stop the Israelis is to show they're killing innocents. Now, the Hamas thinks the best way to get additional funding and be feared is to show they killed innocents. And what side are you on? Oh, you're on the side that likes people that kills children. That's great. Oh, you don't think it's really true? Show you the video, show you the evidence, show you the grieving families. All actors? That's right. Is it a big movie set? Fantastic. Back in a moment. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. They're building their brand, unfortunately. Uh, This is... uh well worth it to them to demonstrate their ability to invoke pain on Israelis. They set out this big dragnet to take hostages. One doesn't know if they targeted Americans or not, but indeed they, they did take Americans with them. Uh, the, uh, the end result is uh, one of publicity, unfortunately, for their cause to create sympathy perhaps around the world. I think that's going to backfire. I think the state sponsors who are sponsoring Hamas may have lost control and their uh, you know, proxies gone wild perhaps might make them think twice about what's going to happen on the ground and whether or not the uh, Hamas are going to take it far too far for their, for their sponsors to have anticipated. So that is uh, one officer talking about, uh, talking about building their brand. Hamas wants to be ISIS, ISIS-K. They love the publicity. His name is Hugh Dugan, former special envoy for hostage affairs. Joining us now is Tim Kennedy, uh, sniper, former UFC fighter, served in Afghanistan. He's also uh, co-founder of Save Our Allies, once again forced into action as we have 20,000-plus Americans trying to get out of Israel. Uh, Tim, welcome back. 
Hey, Brian, thank you for having me, man. What a mess. Yeah, I mean, if people want to support Save Our Allies, people always look at you guys in awe. The one thing that was support, you could take donations. You, there's a re, you have to fly around. you got to get people sometimes medical attention. That, come, that comes out of your wallet. So people can help out, correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, the worst thing about evacuating out of a war zone, um, obviously, is that you're operating with, within the most least permissive environments on the planet that is just pain, suffering, and anarchy everywhere that you look. Um, the second hardest thing, which is a very, very distant second, is how much these profiteers try to charge for everything. So if I'm like literally, Brian, I'm not talking, but, but a couple of minutes ago, we just had a, la- a plane land. Um, getting Americans, four pastor, Christian pastors from Southern California out of Israel that have been stuck there since the attack. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we have to bribe everybody. We have to pay everybody. And these are guys, the, the people on the ground, these are, these are special operations, like expert and exp- expeditionary type activities. Um, these are the best in the world, and they're literally volunteering their time. That's not where the money's going. The money is going to pay for a pilot, to, to pay for a plane, to pay for a portmaster bribe, to pay – like these are, the, these are the things that people don't think about where we have to spend money. Um, you know, Unfortunately, the IRS does think about it, and they're going to be auditing our books very, very, very closely. But the goal is to get Americans out, out of harm's way before this war escalates, which it will. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, we, saw, we saw that it looks like the IRS does like to – to scrutinize people that have, that are, you know, you're helping them, but they don't realize that. You're making them look bad by doing your job. So as we look at Hamas' ask of this day of rage, we hear, I'm seeing this one story, there was some stabbings, believe it or not, in China, another one in France. We saw the uprising in Yemen. Uh, it seems to be peaceful so far, but the numbers are stunning. It's like the filling up the Washington Mall, uh, Washington, D.C. Mall twice. So what does that tell you about the sentiment and, and the, the prestige Hamas has in the region. It's 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 really heartbreaking. I, I've never been so discouraged about um, um, American sentiment than after the attacks. Looking at some of the protests that were happening all over the United States and, in fact, all over the world. Um, Khalid Mashal, the leader of Hamas, he called for jihad throughout the whole entire world. But before people even saw that, before radicals even saw that, we saw people praising the. Um, and I'm using quotation marks when I say the Palestinian people um, because it was Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Um, you know, the big difference on the two sides of this coin, Israel wants to live in peace with their neighbors, whereas Hamas wants to kill everybody and never to see an Israeli state. But the thing that broke my heart was Americans that were praising the rape and murder of innocent people in Israel. Um, you know, t- t- to your point, man, th- this internationally i don't think it's going to have the the desired effect that hamas wants i think it's going to be the the pendulum is swinging back towards these are evil creatures that did an evil thing and they did it to build a brand so when you look at what's about to happen and that is the uh the incursion into gaza we're we're watching the flyers drop into gaza telling people to get out Hamas is evidently telling people you're not going to move. You're going to stay exactly there. But Egypt is not opening up a corridor. But there are some places within Gaza they say that they're not going to get hit. So if your goal is to get these guys, you don't drop fires from the sky. You want to get them, but you don't want civilian casualties. What could the goal be, Tim? I mean, is the goal to get in there, wreck the whole place, and then just cord it off like you did guys Fallujah, but maybe hold it for decades? But never allowing it again to be a, a terror haven? What do you think the goal is? 
Oh, Brian, this is the worst. I mean, fighting insurgencies, as we know, after 20 years um, in the Middle East, we know how difficult it is to uproot an insurgency. Um, you know, if you think about a garden, when the weeds are planted in and amongst your flowers, the flowers get damaged when you have to tear out the roots. Um, oftentimes, the flowers die. The worst part about this particular type of weed is that this weed intentionally barricades itself around things that they want to destroy because it further fuels the propaganda machine that is Hamas. They operate out of hospitals. They operate out of schools. They operate surrounding themselves with hostages. They operate surrounding themselves with women and children because they want them to die. They want these women and children to be killed so that then they have more tool, more fuel, more power for their propaganda machine. But they're the ones that are doing it, and it is so evil. It is an extra kind of evil. Uh, one of the worst struggles that I have from 20 years within special operations was when I was fighting the Taliban in Afghanistan, we got um, – my friend Mike Goble and, our, and myself, we got um, ambushed by a machine gun nest inside of this building. And the machine gun nest had put women and children surrounding them, unbeknownst to us, right? Mike saves my life. He pushes me away from a door as it gets shredded by machine gun fire. I throw a grenade into this room, and the bomb goes off. The machine gun fire stops. And all I hear is women and children screaming. These are the things that these type of terrorists do, and it is absolute mala and say evil. I mean the, to, to the, the pure Latin sense of evil goes back to what these people do. So talk about evil. They showed up at the killing fields where the, all those thousand-plus lost their lives last Saturday. And listen to what Trey Yinkst experienced as he was reporting. Cut 10. heard a gunshot and uh, they're yelling at people to get out of the area. You can see these soldiers, get down, get down, lay down flat. Lay down, lay down totally flat. You can see things are very tense here. There were two gunshots and now they have someone on the ground. Go back right now. Very tense right now as these soldiers appear to be arresting a Palestinian man. They have him in handcuffs right now. And you can see they've blindfolded him. They have captured yet another militant who entered from the Gaza Strip. It gives you a sense of just how unpredictable all of this is. And insecure they all feel. Is that unbelievable that you go back there, you're doing an after-action report, and then a, a killer show, a Hamas killer shows up? Yeah, th- th- this, this fight is nowhere near done. Um, what we know about serial killers is they would frequent their victims' houses. They would fr- frequent the places that they conducted their crimes. There, there's something that is when, – when, when you are rotten inside, you want to see the fruit of your work, and these people are rotten. When you, when you go – it was the Supernova Music Festival, the Rahim Music Festival on October 7th, and it, I, I will give credit where evil credit is due, the, the ingenuity and adaptation of the Hamas to figure out new ways to be able to attack and new ways to, to hurt Israel was impressive in the sense that they were able to find yet a new way to get over the barricade, to get over the fences and the walls, and then to find hundreds of civilians that they were able to rape, murder, and now we know kidnap to include Americans. Um, you know, they're evil, and evil wants to see what evil does. Um, like this isn't the superhero movie where the bomb goes off in the background and the hero walks away without looking back. They want to see the people burn. They want to see the people suffer because in their core, they are evil. So uh, we're finding out now, according to the Wall Street Journal, that Hezbollah has probably warned Israel that it's prepared to open up a second front if Israel forces launch a ground assault in Gaza. Uh, 
but whether Hezbollah follows through with the threat is the topic of debate with Israeli leaders. We know they're going into Gaza. So that much, do they want to make a threat that's inevitable, inevitable them called out on it? You know the, you know the militant mindset. Would they say something they didn't believe? No, um, and I, I, I don't know the militant mindset because they can do things that I can't even fathom. Um, this is what Hamas wanted, right? So Hamas knew that Israel would have to respond. Um, and, you know, if you go back to, to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, J- Japan, the, the thought of Americans going into the land of Japan, and every single corner there would be somebody sitting there with a spike or a gun, and we would have had to have fought for every single inch of that ground to, to, to be taken, um, which is a way different thing than this. Even though we're going to have to fight for every single inch, this is what Hamas wants. They want to drag Israel into an ugly fight so they can hopefully try and propel the rest of the radical, evil terrorist world into joining into this fight. This is the second effort of the Hamas intent. They, they knew that this, this attack, killing 1,200-plus people, kidnapping, raping, murdering women and old and Holocaust survivors, what they really wanted in addition to doing damage to Israel was to try and encourage, to be the catalyst, to be the igniter that would light the rest of the Islamic radical world into a fight against Israel. They want the Taliban. They want ISIS-K. They want Hezbollah. They want all of them to be part of this. Um, that's why they're call, contacting Iraq and trying to find permission for – people from Afghanistan, Taliban warfighters to move through, for Syria to get access, for Jordan to get access to Syria. You know, like, this is exactly what they want. They want a dirty fight, and they want to drag the rest of these terrorist organizations into this fight. So they were able to find maps on these dead bodies of the 1,000-plus terrorists that lost their lives Saturday. They found a 14-page manual. They found maps marked with places with crowds, synagogues, and kindergartens. There were additional details of the maps that showed they had come prepared, more prepared than they ever thought, than anyone thought was possible. It goes into detail saying they knew, quote, from the expert here that had a chance to go through the uh, translator, they they knew exactly what the targets were going to be. There is nothing close to this level of planning in any steps Hamas has done in the past. As I mentioned, it's 14 pages. They said two teams of five and a commander would carry out the operation on an hour S day Y, it reads, Maps and several pictures of the towns were contained in the document, which says there were a thousand civilians guarded by a volunteer security force. It warned the Israeli troops stationed nearby would be coming in three to five minutes. But they came much later than that, by the way. And they anticipated a lot of the reaction that they got. They end up coming through, blowing a hole open, letting pickup trucks come through, as you know, knowing the soft spot in tanks and armored vehicles to attack and anticipating the way they responded on open source intelligence, and evidently there was a cyber attack two years ago in which they got a lot of other information. I just gave you a lot. I know you get this regularly. What are your thoughts? Uh, There's a lot of stones being lobbed at the Israeli intelligence community. Like, how could they miss this Hamas invasion? Um, You know, you have lots of different forms of intelligence. You have human intelligence, you intelligence. Um, Ultimately, all of that information ends up with people, and people – are imperfect. And um, so the obviously the Israeli intelligence community missed a lot of um, key indicators, but let, let's also give recognition to the secrecy, the operation. They, they knew the tradecraft, they, Hamas, operated in silos. They trained these people to do acts 
when these people, these terrorists, didn't even know where they were going to go and do these things. It wasn't until the day before the attack that they really got their marching orders about where they were going to go. They were able to keep with to the top five people within Hamas. Mm-hmm. Only five people in the organization knew who uh, and where these attacks were going to take place. Um, the complexity of this is not Hamas. Um, there will be clear lines back to Iran's Quds forces. We will see. Um, you know, th- this is. The complexity of an operation like this, where you're coming in by land, by sea, by air, um, you, you've, you've broken your assault force into small elements that are able to go forward and attack with impunity means that this was this was not just researched, but this was drilled over and over and over again, so they would be as effective as they proved to be. Um, but and it really, really yeah. breaks your heart when you think about what effectiveness means because they were targeting ch- children. They kidnapped month-old babies. They have kidnapped you know, 19-month-old, two-years-old, three-years-old um, husband and wives. As, as we saw a video of a father that lost his eight-year-old son, he was rejoicing at the fact that his son had died because he knew that he was not currently being captive in by Hamas because he knew how much horrible that would be for that that young man, his son, the eight-year-old. This this man, this this dad was rejoicing at the death of his eight-year-old because that's how evil Hamas is. So, Tim Kennedy, you've seen a lot of horrible things in in your life, and you even are horrified by what we witnessed and what we've been able to see. Uh, and it's just beginning. Uh, Tim Kennedy served in Afghanistan, former UFC fighter and co-founder of Save Our Allies. If you want to help out. Uh, help out save our allies. Tim, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Oh, man, hey, I'm going to read. A, I just got a, an update here. Um, great news. Wheels up. Another plane going home. Uh, like literally as we're talking here, Brian, another plane just just went wheels up with Americans on board. Wow. Uh, man. That's great. Yeah. Make it yeah. a difference, God Tim. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. Tim Kennedy, back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. One of the things I think we would do uh, if they expanded this conflict, we would attack in Iraq and Syria their proxies. Uh, And there's other targets that we could go after as well. I'll I'll leave it up uh, to the Pentagon and and national security team to figure out what what the appropriate targets would be. So um, a couple of things I want to point out. That is General Jack King with me this morning. Uh, and we have Secretary of State in Qatar. Qatar is, I just hope the Secretary of State went up to Qatar and said, hey, you are housing Hamas, who is responsible for all this and rejoicing with it. And we saw you guys in the same room, too. We all saw the video carried on every Arab uh, news station and the BBC. So why did they cut her? Because Qatar offered to volunteer and broker and try to get the hostages out. Uh, we should deal with them directly. And believe me, they're trying to remake their image since you're getting the World Cup and everything like that. Uh, they've unmade their image. So they're not allies. Number two is there's just a report that came out that uh, Israel has made it clear, told everybody to stay safe, head south. Uh, you basically have 90 minutes. So expect the ground war to start shortly uh, and the carnage and the bodies to stack up. But this cannot stand. You cannot live next to people that want to kill you and act and be surprised when they try. 
And instead of saying, well, you know, they got some some portions don't really want to act out. There's parts of Hamas that just want to live a normal life. I, there's none of them. It's over. They tried that. And now there's uh, almost 2,000 dead and more coming. Now you got 600,000 fighting force. As was explained to me, though, the ones that have just been activated, reserves, and it was said with respect, was many haven't fired a gun. So they're going to be good. They're going to be trained. They've got to be trained. They've got to be ready to go. But the elite force has got to go in, and maybe not first, maybe second. And I would expect, just from a pedestrian point of view, them go through this so-called Gaza Sea. Because why hit them just from one side when you get to hit them from both? And looming is Hezbollah warning, if you go into Gaza, we're in. And there are some reports at this hour uh, that Hezbollah is ready to go in. That would start a two-front war. I'm going to cover it all on One Nation from 9 to 11. Uh, and if you want to, when it's time to talk about this and meet you in person, if you want to see me on stage talking about the news of the day and history, what makes America so fantastic, uh, just go to BrianKilme.com and hopefully I'm a town where you're in right now listening to me. Keep it here. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.